For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Eno Saris, who covers Major League Baseball for The Athletic, about some of the top analytics going on across the game. We've also got to get into with him the new rule across baseball for muddying the baseballs and putting them in the humidor. We can talk to Eno about that, as well as Aaron Judge, who becomes a free agent after this year. Juan Soto, where does he end up? Could it be the San Francisco Giants? And a little bit on Carlos Rodon. All things we'll discuss with Eno Saris, who joins me next. Today is Monday, June 27th. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Eno Saris, covers Major League Baseball and analytics for The Athletic. Eno, I don't think I've had John since uh, April. I was getting ready to go on a trip uh, out to Wrigley Field, went out to Chicago for a wedding. I asked you about the beer selection at Wrigley. You said it ranked near the bottom, and you were right, dude. Uh, some, some real boots-on-the-ground accuracy <laughs> on my end. Not a whole lot of great beer at Wrigley Field, bro. Yeah, you got to go. You got to look hard to find some half-acre, but uh, and I guess there's supposedly some stuff there, but you've you got to really look hard. There's like zombie yeah, dust zombie on like dust, one right. card. If you if you walk your walk your way all the way up the right field line, you might find some zombie dust. It's a good beer, but it's just, you know, when it is so hard to get, then you have to make all these decisions about like, am I going to miss this many innings or am I going to watch from over there? Or what am I going to do? I want to see the ball game. So I got a good <laughs> good ball game in at, at Wrigley Field and some not so great right. beer, but it worked out okay <laughs> nonetheless. So I want to get into some stuff with you. First, I, I you know I read an article last week and I saw the it was posted in The Athletic. I can't remember if you wrote it or if uh, one of our other baseball guys did about the uh, the new policy of muddying baseballs. And I read it and I started reading it and I was like, I just got to ask you, you know, about this. he's going to break this down for me. So there's now some uniform rubbing of the baseball that's going to go down. What's this changing? Why do they keep making changes like this within season? instead of waiting till the offseason, and, and what will change across baseball with this sort of universal muddying of the baseball, and what does it mean? Yeah, I think that making these uh, changes in season is not ideal, but in both cases, maybe, uh, you know, the other case being the sticky stuff enforcement in the middle of the season, I think their hand was forced. In this case, what was going on is they've been generally trying to have a consistent process of muddying the ball, and over time they've changed the rules. So it used to be you could muddy the balls up for the entire series two days before the series started. And what would happen then is that, especially in Arizona, uh, you know, Chris Bassett was saying they're dry and dusty by the end of it because they've been sitting there drying for five days. So baseball came in and said, you can't do five days anymore. You got to do at least two days. Well, then, you know, that was still kind of bad. So then they came in last September and said it has to be 24 hours. Well, what happened this year is they muddied the balls up right before the game. They threw them in the bag that they kept them in. And then they threw that bag in the humidor. Not every team did that, but the teams that did do that found that the balls were kind of like wetter, like slippery because they didn't have the chance to dry. So you can hear why there's like a little bit of a, I, I do feel badly for the league a little bit because there's too dry and there's not dry enough. <laughs> you know? And they never went out and like sort of define this in scientific terms. So they're just getting feedback from the players and they're just trying to get it right. But now you can't just put it back in the bag with all the other wet balls and hope they dry. Now you got to put them back in the box. You got to put the box in the humidor and you got to give it three hours. So I think this is a common sense solution to something that was brought out by the fact that now there are humidors in all 20 parks. 
they had to, you know, kind of adjust the regulations. But it is funny because it came with a video uh, that told them how to do, how to muddy up the balls correctly, told them to do 30 seconds. And, you know, I, I've talked to a couple clubhouse attendants that were like, oh, come on, man. We got we to gotta muddy up 200 balls and we got to spend 30 seconds on each ball. It is a fair <laughs> amount that they're asking these uh, these guys to do. But at the same time, it's super important. It's the main piece of equipment for the, the baseball game. You know, you got to get that right. Yeah, you never run into this issue in basketball, right? Or in football, <laughs> we saw this with the, you know, the deflate gate thing. Like, uh, you've got to have balls weighted uh, to a, uh, or filled with air to a certain weight uh, uh, that, that sort of creates a uniform ball across the game. So I assume the hope is that this is going to make the ball more uniform and, and uh, balance it across the league. But what are these rules based on? Is it going to fix these problems with the balls? Did they do a study that this was the right amount of time? Or are they truly just basing it on what players are telling them? To their credit, they're looking at how each they basically had each team send them a video that showed them, you know, how they were doing it. And so they could kind of between the feedback from the players and these videos kind of be like, oh, we got more feedback in these places and that's how they're doing it there. Let's not do that. (laughs) So they kind of felt their way to the, the right to the best practices by kind of looking at places they got they got less negative feedback and looking how they did it. However, I mean, you know, something could be said for being more scientific about it, you know, just being like, this is the amount of moisture we want on the ball. Let's actually do, and, and the studies don't have to be like super lab scientific, you know, you could just measure the amount of moisture on the ball and then put it in the bag and put it in the humidor and then put it in the box and put it in the humidor. You know, just have a scientific method. They haven't quite taken the scientific method. It's been more just gathering intel and trying to find their way towards best practices. Okay, so uh, we'll see over time how this plays out and, uh, and if in, in general things get fixed because, uh, of course, we talked at the beginning of the year about the uh, the uniform humidor not coming to the game, so they're doing their, their best, it sounds like, to make the ball uniform across the game. Let's get into some baseball stuff specifically. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, a couple of hitters in the American League. Number one, Jordan Alvarez. I mean, it, I, don't, I don't think it would be a stretch to say this guy is a top five hitter in all of baseball, and in the American League he's been dominant having an MVP-like season. If Aaron Judge weren't on pace for, like, I don't know, what's he, 62 home runs or something right now, uh, he may be the front-runner for MVP and, and may end up being that anyway. What can you tell us about what Jordan Alvarez's development has looked like this year? What's making him so successful? Are there pitches he's laying off of? Is he attacking more? Give me your, your breakdown or your thought on Jordan Alvarez of the Astros. He's got one of these, the type of power that when he has batting practice, everyone stops and watches. You know, like uh, when they were in town, you know, the, the Giants lingered on the field to watch him and his own teammates stop. And so he's got that amazing power. What he's added this year is an even better sense of the zone. He's quit chasing balls outside the zone. He's really honed in on the balls. He can do damage. Now he's a guy that he's not even a, a real pull happy guy. He's a guy who has power to all fields. So he's the kind of guy who can hit 300 while hitting you 40 homers. Uh, and it's just an amazing uh, combination of contact ability, you know, sort of hit tool and power tool and patience. So just in a really, really amazing bat. He's not uh, that much of an asset defensively. So Judge being able to play center field and do more around the base pass. Alvarez has kind of iffy knees. So he's more of a you know corner outfield DH type. Uh, but at the same time, he might be one of the top two or three bats in the league, if not number one right now. 
Yeah, I was kind of looking at him like a, like a David Ortiz type when he came up. And, and the glove not quite as bad, I don't think, as Ortiz when he first got to the bigs with Minnesota and then ultimately just became a DH with the Red Sox. But I look at him as, as the same type of player, big hulking power, as you, you mentioned, a little bit of corner outfield, but a much better designated hitter than first baseman. And uh, he, he's put the Astros uh, right back in the thick of things because of the season he's having. And speaking of Aaron Judge, man, I'm, I, I always feel bad for a guy when he doesn't take a big contract and then banks on himself and it doesn't pay off. Aaron Judge is going to get paid this offseason, man. He's having a, an incredible year. Had another walk-off base hit for the Yankees on Thursday to top the Astros. What can you say about what he's done this year? I mean, he's dealt with injuries, obviously, but uh, it just seems this year, for a guy who's that tall with that big of a strike zone, he's covering a whole lot of the plate. You know, a 25% strikeout rate might not sound very impressive to a lot of people, but in today's league, that's really close to average. And as you say, he's got a lot of long levers that he's got to get in the right places in order to have a strikeout rate like that. And on top of that, he's a power hitter, so he's trying to hit for power. I think he's a really, really good hitter if he's going to strike out 25% of the time, as he has for the last couple of years. That's down from when he debuted more of a, a 30 to 32% type you know, guy. He even hit 52 homers the year that he hit. He had a 31% strikeout rate. So he can live at this rate. I do think that it'll be a really interesting question. You know, they just settled. The news came in that they they settled. The Yankees settled with Judge for this year because of the lockout. Some of the arbitration cases are just now happening, and they settled at 19 million. You know, I, I do think there's a question for the next team: Are the injuries completely gone? Do we trust a guy this size? I I always think of Rick Smiths. There's a certain amount of just stress upon the body that a, a body that size, it's just harder to keep that body that size uh, healthy, I would say. That's been true for seven footers in the NBA. And, you know, Judge isn't quite uh, seven feet, but, you know, he's kind of like the baseball version of a, of a seven footer. I wonder if he is, you know, the kind of player that you want to put $400 million down for. But I do think that's what it's going to take. He's also 30 years old. You know, the Yankees were trying to give him a five-year deal before the season started, and uh, I think he's one of these guys who's looking for a little bit of a longer deal. Would love to see him here in San Francisco in a Giants uniform, but I don't know. I'm with you. $400 million for a guy who uh, who may want six or seven years. That could be a little bit tough, and you just don't know what his body will look like. I guess 400 would have to take 10 years. So 10 years probably. If we are, and, and do you give a guy 10 years when he's 30? I think that the aging curves say that he's already two or three years past his peak, so I don't think anybody really wants to give him those 10 years. So maybe eight and 250 or something still going to be a lot of money and if you're paying this guy when he's 38 like what's he going to look like when he's 38 will farhan ever sign a 10-year deal dude I, like unless it's like juan soto or like a, you know what i mean it's going to take a mookie bets like player who's in the in his early to mid 20s who becomes available that you can lock up for i do 10, wonder 12. if he is saving up because he he does come from the dodger style of running teams and you can see that they're trying to do everything they can to win now they'll buy they're buying short-term free agents it's sort of a blend of the a's and the dodgers what they're doing in in san francisco i do wonder if they will ever pull the mookie Betts move where they do package together some of their young players and prospects to get somebody like soto and then extend him but i am waiting for like you know where is the where's the big money coming like when are you going to spend the big money farhan I do think that the Carlos Rodon signing was amazing, but it does fit his, you know, M.O. of short. And, you know, we'll give you whatever you want in a one-year deal. But when is he going to really pony up for somebody? 
I think it's going to take a player like like Mookie Betts, right? Like we saw from the Dodgers, who you know had went out and, and traded for a number of players at deadline times, and then ultimately did not resign them. I think about you know you Darvish and uh, some of the other big names they brought in, and then let them walk, and then they ultimately can trade for Mookie Betts and lock him up because he's a cornerstone type piece. But I don't know if the Nationals are going to trade Juan Soto before the learners sell the team. I, you know, if you've got an asset like that, a guy who's marketable, who sells jerseys, who won't be a free agent for two and a half years, and you want to sell your franchise, probably not a good idea to, to move your best asset before then. I agree. I agree. But maybe also not the best time to extend that guy to a huge contract. I don't know how that works in terms of building team value. I mean, it, there's the positives of, hey, we just locked up somebody who might go to the Hall of Fame with the with the Nationals hat on. That's got to be an asset for the team. But it's also money that the new owners will, will be required to, to, to spend on the player. So it's kind of, I kind of doubt he'll sign an extension. And I also doubt he'll be traded. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and uh, and could get well. I could get traded in a couple of years, but we'll see what happens with the uh, the sale of the Nats. Uh, before we let you go, you mentioned Carlos Rodon. I want to ask you ask you about him because uh, his month of May was awful. He was great uh, to start the season. His month of May was not very good at all, and then in June he's completely flipped the script. Uh, what are you seeing from him? He, he's got obviously the high zone fastball that's been extremely tough for guys to uh, to make contact with. Had a great ten strikeout game the other day in Atlanta against the defending world champs. Uh, he's pitching like an ace now, uh, and and you saw that at the start of the season and then the little dip, but he looks like he's coming back. The Giants are counting on him big time. What have you seen from him this year? You know, I did see a, a little bit of a dip in his stuff numbers. You saw that he wasn't having quite the same ability to reach back and hit that 99 in some of those games. I think the velo is still looking good, at least on the max level. He's just sitting a little bit lower. But if you look at the whole range of his velo, it's still there. It hasn't dropped off like it did late last season when he was injured. So I don't think it's an injury yet. And one thing that I do like to see when I look at his game log, I like to see uh, those curveballs because one of the things that he's doing differently this year is he has a legitimate curveball that is different from his slider. You know, in the Colorado game, he broke it out a bunch. At Cincinnati, he broke it out. I want to see some more of those, actually, because I think that curveball is legitimate, different shape. In the past, it's kind of with just a slower version of a slider. So I think he's got one more wrinkle. And when you start seeing that curveball uh, bust out, that he'll do that when he starts seeing teams for the second and third time this season. You validated me wholeheartedly there. When he was struggling in, in the month of May, I had said that uh, on my show with Tom Tolbert. I was like, it just sort of looks like when he's only throwing the slider and the fastball, there's not enough different change of velocity and there's not enough different movement. But you're right. As he's breaking out that curveball, he's getting a lot of swings and misses. And he can throw it as a get-it-over curveball, and it looks different, sort of from the same arm slot, but comes a little bit more over the top than that slider. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird more 12-6 to 6 curveball despite having more of a slurvy slider with that arm slot. So he says it's all about, you know, keeping the wrist uh, stiff and kind of spiking the grip. Two things that help people do throw throwing that arm slot get more 12-6 to 6 movement. It's a little bit Aaron Nola throws a spike curve. He has that same low three-quarter, like lower slot, and he still gets that 12-6 to 6 movement because of the spike grip. You know, always fun catching up, man. Uh, we'll, we'll try to touch base with you again maybe sometime before playoff time. Uh, we'll we'll uh, check out some of the numbers. And I always got to go back and listen to our first episode of the year because you always make predictions that help out my fantasy team. How's your, how are your, uh, your fantasy teams doing right now, by the way? I'm middle of the pack in both leagues. Injuries are killing me, but if Scherzer and DeGrom come back, I'm in business. Nice. I'm, uh, I'd say my average spot right now is maybe second. Uh, I've got a bunch that I'm winning and a bunch that I'm sort of third or fourth. 
But my big one, I have an AL Labor squad built on Dylan Cease and Shane McClanahan. Nice. I've got both of those guys. I'm just dominating when it comes to pitching with those two. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that one, I hadn't won yet. And this is like my 10th year in the league. You know, by the numbers, there's only 12 of us. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm looking around me like, man, I'm the only guy who hasn't won yet. I th- it's got to be my turn. So I think this year might be my turn. This year, it all, you say it every year in baseball, and I say it maybe you know once a week for the Giants. I go, yeah, this feels like the year. I'm yeah. thinking that for, uh, for Eno's baseball team too, man. All right, Eno, we'll talk to you later, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Eno Saris. Make sure you're reading him and uh, and following him on Twitter at Eno Saris. Uh, does a great job and writes some of, not obscure but uh, different baseball articles than just your gamers or, or strictly stat breakdown stuff. And he's giving you reasons and analytics for why guys are finding success and what it is that's making them good. But the Aaron Judge stuff, the Jordan Alvarez stuff, uh, Carlos Rodon playing well. A lot of good storylines around baseball. We didn't even have a chance to get into it with him. The uh, the Willie Calhoun trade from the Giants, but we can talk more about that next week. Thank you to Eno Saris. Thank you to Brian Smith, my producer. And thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We'll keep bringing you the top stories in Bay Area sports. Later this week, we'll get into a little bit of the Warriors draft stuff. Patrick Baldwin Jr. joins the Warriors roster, a 19-year-old out of Milwaukee. We can talk about that later this week. I think we're all just hoping that Patrick... Baldwin Jr. ends up being a good player so we can use the the PB&J jokes, but uh, we'll get to that later next season. Until Wednesday, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you then.